morning, good evening, good afternoon from wherever you are in the world and welcome once more to the Right on Track podcast, show where we talk about everything Thomas and Friends and the Railway series. I am Connor Jonas and once more Tom Denham and Tom Parry are busy with multiple different tasks. So... I've got current fill-in host, M. Welcome back, M. Hi, Connor. How are you doing? Doing good. How about yourself, man? I'm doing good. It's great to be back. Now, M, what episodes are we going to be reviewing today? So today we've actually got four episodes. I'm looking forward to some of these. We've got Harold and the Flying Horse, The Grand Opening, Best Dressed Engine, and finally we have Gordon and Spencer. Four episodes. That's going to be a lot to cover, so I think that we should start flying through them. We'll start with our first episode, Harold and the Flying Horse, where Harold is lamenting that he isn't able to go to the fate. Thomas puffed in with some passengers. Where are you going next? buzzed Harold. To the vicar's fate, of course. Isn't everyone? Everyone except me replied Harold. I'm on duty. Yes, indeed, said Thomas kindly. Being a rescue helicopter is important work. (sighs) But no one needs rescuing, sighed Harold. So, we've just heard a clip from Harold and the Flying Horse. He's got no one to rescue. That's quite unfortunate. Yeah, so... Harold and the Flying Horse by Robin Kingsland. It very much makes me question and then answers the question about Harold. Okay. And that is, what is his job? As you heard in the clip, Thomas referred to him as a rescue helicopter. Yeah, he does. So he's like a coast guard. But at the same time, we see him delivering the mail. He seems to be a bit of a uh, all-rounder helicopter more than just a rescue helicopter. It's so weird because so often we see him... In this rescue role, such as Toby in the Flood, Percy's Promise, and now this story, Harold and the Flying Horse. But he also just does other jobs in Percy and Harold. He just seems to be a normal helicopter with no discernible profession. Yeah, it does seem that way, doesn't it? I don't know what Harold's job is, but for the sake of this story, he's a rescue helicopter. Specifically, he is a rescue helicopter that is very upset because... The Vicar's fate is continuing on. Nice continuity from previous series there. And Harold would love to go and join in in all the festivities. However, he is on patrol and has got no one to rescue. So there's not even any action for him. It's just boring waiting around. When later that day, he gets an urgent call from the fat controller. Is there a broken dam? People in distress? No, a, a horse is stuck and the children will be sad. If the horse isn't at the fair, that's the urgent call. So, Harold is sent to rescue the horse, who is named Pegasus. And then Harold slips his sling under Pegasus and flies over to the fate. And everyone's happy. And that's about it with this story. Which I feel highlights something about it, on how it doesn't have much meat to it. No, I completely agree. Like... Out of the Series 7 episodes that we're looking at, it feels like one of the less meat ones. Out of the four episodes we're reviewing today, Harold and the Flying Horse definitely feels the weakest. Yep, I'm completely there. It's like you're getting a box of chicken wings from somewhere, and it's the one with the least meat on the bone. This episode, it starts, and it either goes super fast, 
Yep. Or it drags on forever. No, you're right. Depending on your mood, this episode fits either of those things. When I was watching it before, it went by super fast to me. It's like, oh, he isn't able to go to the fate. Oh, there's a horse that needs rescuing. He's at the fate. The end. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you there. It feels sped up. It feels like it was only designed for maybe a minute or two, and they've had to flesh it out with things that didn't necessarily need to be in there. Hmm. Essentially, you see disappointment, problem, quick solution, done. It almost feels like that it's a magazine story. Yeah, no, I'll agree with you there. It's not based off a magazine story. I've found nothing that says it's based off of anything. It seems to be entirely original, but it very much feels like a magazine story. However, there are... Of course, some good things about this episode. The very first thing about this, I mentioned continuity. We, we get the return of the Vicar's Fate, something that we've had reference of in Series 2, Series 3, a few other times, and now. Yeah. It seems to be a nice reoccurring thing, and I like that it's back. It's something that I didn't know that I was missing from the world of Thomas, and that was mm. the Vicar, his Orchard, and the Fate. It is also nice that we at least get to see the vicar, we get to see Trevor, we get to see Birdie. They don't speak, but it's still nice to see them. Mm. On the note of Trevor, you actually get some stock footage here from Special Attraction, along with stock Mm. footage from multiple other episodes, including Series 4 episode Trucks, where we see Duke crossing Viaduct with Harold flying by. Yeah, so... To me, it's really great to see Duke again. Yes. It is also the most bittersweet moment for those that are fans of Duke, as it is the last ever time he is seen on screen. Farewell. He doesn't come back for the CGI, unfortunately. He doesn't come back within the model series. The thing is, Duke hasn't had any role as a character since series four. So every time we've seen him after that has just been stock footage. And then this is the last time we ever get that stock footage. It's the last ever time we get that stock footage, and it's not even a narrow gauge based story. No. It feels like a really bittersweet send off. It feels like he's just been locked up in his shed again. There's no celebration, there's no fanfare, it's just a quiet disappearance. So this is how it ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. To see one of your most favourite characters not return after being used in stock footage, it is quite bittersweet. However, of course, there's nothing that implies this is the last time you see Duke. It's just, he's there, and then from now on, he's not. Which, it's sad, but there are still some more lovely things about this episode. Yes. One of which, for me, is the opening scene. Oh? As we saw in Peace and Quiet, it's the Suttery Castle again. Yes, Suttery Castle with the rule of three for screen composition. Yes, it's a photographic term. You try and make sure you've got things separated between your bottom third, middle third, and top third in your photo. You've got nine squares. You've got nine squares. You usually try and have your focus in that middle. But this scene just works well in the top, middle, bottom perspective. You've got that frame of the trees in the top third. You've got the castle and the railway in the middle third. And then you've got the green with the flowers in the bottom. It's just, it's always a beautiful sight to see. <laughs> You're a sucker for Suttery Castle. I really am. So anytime it appears, it's <laughs> going to be brought up it's again. It's the castle, guys. It's the castle. Guys, it's the castle. <laughs> Quick, look. Yay. What this episode does really well, though... I feel is yep. 
just the detail that is not mentioned. Most explicit version of this would be the name of the horse. That the flying horse in the title is Pegasus. Now, for those that don't know, and as Sir Topham Hatt mentions in the episode, Pegasus is the name of a horse in a very old story. This story that he's referring to is archaic Greek mythology. Yes, the flying horse Pegasus with its wings stretching from its back. I'm a massive history nerd. I love my mythology. I too love my mythology. The Greeks, not so much. I tend to touch more on uh, Egyptian and Mm. Norse, but just hearing the reference with Pegasus there, and it makes you think, because out of all the Greek mythological creatures... A Pegasus is one of the more well-known. It's one that's drawn more often as well. Yeah, well, like, I mean, a horse with wings is quite a memorable sight. But I will say, though, that detail there about naming the horse Pegasus, it was not necessary. It doesn't contribute much to the story. The only thing it contributes is, hey, the horse is going to be flying in the episode. Why not for a laugh or a reference we name the horse Pegasus? The children mightn't get that, but the adults and grown-ups watching this would be able to connect Mm. Pegasus the flying horse with this horse called Pegasus that's flying. For those of you that don't know, Pegasus, flying horse, archaic Greek mythology, offspring of Poseidon, god of the sea, and Medusa, gorgon with snakes for hair and can turn you to stone, and then was later used by multiple heroes in the various tales but mm. how does Pegasus fly in this story? Because we've got enough magic with a world of talking trains and an entire railroad that isn't considered canon. So how does this horse fly? So essentially what happens is Pegasus ends up running off and falls in a ditch. So they have to actually get Harold in. That's where that important phone call came from. And Harold has to use a sling hung from a cable from him tucked under Pegasus in order to lift him up and carry him off to the or the vicar's fate. I will say, flying a bit low there, Harold, with Pegasus, there's a particular shot where you see like Percy looking up at the flying horse and you see Pegasus go by the chimney of a house on the same level as the chimney. A metre to the left, Pegasus is smacking into that brick chimney. The thing is, though, Pegasus will be a horse, and horses can weigh a fair bit. Yes. Probably a bit more than um, Harold's used to lifting. Fair. Fair. So he might not be able to get the altitude required to clear all these buildings height-wise with Pegasus. Even so, why is he flying so close to them? Instead, he's flying right above Maithway and nearly taking the tops off the station. It's... He's got a, an unintentional wrecking ball, essentially. Thankfully, nothing occurs with it, and then eventually lowers Pegasus down at the fate, and then he's able to enjoy it a bit as well. By the way, lifting a horse with a helicopter is not as far-fetched an idea as you may think. No, I'm pretty sure it's happened. Multiple times, very quick newspaper search, and you're able to find about two or three times it's happened within the past few years. The other thing is, it's not just horses that'll do it. I've seen a fair few cows and sheep get stuck as well. To which point you do need to bring in a crane or a helicopter. Hmm. Now, this episode. The story's okay, but what's really disappointing about it 
is the fact that this is the last episode for Harold to be the sole main character in. It's the last time his name's in the title, actually. Yeah, very much on the same note of Duke. It's going out with a whimper. Yeah, it's not going out with a bang, it's just fizzling out very disappointed. As if you were trying to set off fireworks and it started raining. There are parts of it that you can enjoy, such as the little bit of history, maybe some of the clever writing, such as delivering reminders. I love that in reference to the episode. But at the same time, it feels like they took, as you said, a one-minute magazine story and tried to stretch it out four to five times its length. And it really doesn't feel like it works, at least not in my opinion. And from the sounds of it, it doesn't sound like it's really worked that well in yours either. Hmm. Which is really surprising for me, because this is the last episode written by Robin Kingsland. And it's really surprising that this episode falls so flat, because every other episode that he wrote was really impressive. He wrote four stories in total for Thomas, Harold and the Flying Horse being one of them, the other three being Salty Secret, Scaredy Engines, and Gordon Takes a Tumble. Oh, they're all great episodes. Like, I love those. They're much more memorable, they're much more enjoyable than Harold and the Flying Horse. Yes. No, I'll, I'll definitely agree there. Every band is supposed to have that one song that isn't a hit. Every writer's supposed to have one story that isn't as good as the rest. But it's really surprising that considering Robin Kingsland's track record, that we get Harold and the Flying Horse. As you were saying, every artist does have that one that just doesn't make it. Mm. Like, not as well as the others. And as much as it's disappointing that this one's it, I'm not disappointed that this one's it at the same time. Like... The other three that he's written, absolutely amazing episodes. I love them. So the fact that this one falls a bit flat, it doesn't disappoint me as much. So with that, I think we move on to ratings. Well, just before we do, there's one little uh, interesting bit of trivia. I find it interesting at least. When the stock footage isn't used, did you notice that Harold is actually out of scale around the narrow gauge railway? Yes. Yes, I, I did notice that. And I believe I know the reason why. Well, I'm all ears if you happen that you might know the reason why. I'd definitely love to know. Mm, okay. So, past Series 4, a majority of the narrow gauge engines were rebuilt into a larger scale in Series 5. Yep. Whilst in Series 4, they were to scale with the standard gauge engines. So therefore you would easily yes. be able to have them in shots with each other. However, they only had one Harold model. Mm. Which means they didn't have a larger Harold model to use when he's next to the larger narrow gauge engines. I hate to say it, I feel like that kind of didn't really help the episode here. I love watching for the story. I also sometimes pick up on things like this. It feels a little upsetting. It's not game breaker, absolute, nah, don't want to watch this episode again. Like, I will sit and watch this episode again. It's just that once you see it the first time, it's very hard to unsee. You see, the thing is, it doesn't bother me. That's completely fair. I like my photography and stuff, so I guess that's where my mind tends to go towards. For this filming segment, some models are bigger than others, mm. and they didn't account for that. Mm. That's just where I'm coming from, really. So with that, I think we should move on to the ratings. What do you feel that this episode is for you? Okay, so I'm having a lot of difficulty separating this episode 
from it's good and bad. Because there are some good parts to it, but at the same time, I'm intentionally looking for good parts. Because I feel it's such a weak episode. I like the continuity of the fate. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of the dialogue is nice. I love yeah. the, the tiny detail of the horse just being named Pegasus. How mm. the overall, the story feels very weak to me. And whilst there are some fun and creative shots, they don't do too much for me. So with that, I'm going to give this episode a, uh, a 5 out of 10. Okay. So, I feel like we're kind of similar here. I'm not just looking for the good parts. Like, I look at the episode on the whole. I'll look at the good and the bad. Especially if you're the kind of person who you love certain characters and they just disappear with a whimper as opposed to a bang. That really doesn't help the situation much. I'm not going to give it a 5. I'm going to give it a 4 out of 10. The fact that it felt so quick, it felt like a magazine story that was just dragged out... It's it's a weak story. It, it is, yeah. And I just it hits it hits a bit hard, and you want it to be stronger than it is, but I just I can't give it anything more than a four. That's all good. So we agree. Whilst there are some good parts to Howard and the Flying Horse, it's a relatively weak story and isn't as grand as it should have been, which will lead us. Into the next episode, the grand opening. What's the clip that we're going to be listening to, Em? With the grand opening, it sounds like a little engine is running a little bit late. The engines on the mountain railway were excited. They were helping to build a new line. It would take visitors to even more beautiful places on the island of Sodor. The fat controller arrived with important news. The grand opening is this afternoon. I will see the new line from the air. Lady Hat and I will arrive on Harold the helicopter. Just then, Scarloe chugged in. You're late for the announcement, complained the fat controller. Really useful engines are never late. I'm sorry, sir. Yes, a new railway line has been built on... The Mountain Railway? The Scarlowy Railway? The Narrow Gauge Railway? It, 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 uh, it being called the Mountain Railway really throws me off, Em. I, it annoys me. Uh, it throws you off, it throws me off. I think it would throw anyone off, Connor. So, new line has been built. Yep. And as Sir Topham has been giving a little uh, announcement to the other Scarlowy Railway engines about the duties of the day and how the grand opening will go... Scarlow is running a little bit late and he gets a light scolding. But what happens in the rest of the episode, Em? So, as we heard, the engines have been working towards opening a new station. And as we've heard again, the Fat Controller has announced what the uh, day's proceedings are going to be. And Scarlow's rocked up a little late. Essentially, Sir Topham Hatt's turned to Scarlow and said, Look, you can't be late for the opening. It's going to be disappointing if you're not, because we want everyone to be there. So the Fat Controller and his wife, Lady Hat, make their way to Dry or Airfield, where they go to go for a ride in Harold. But Harold's having a bit of engine trouble. He's unable to go anywhere for the day. So the Fat Controller's had this smart idea. He sees a hot air balloon. And so they uh, climb in and they get taken off and they start heading out towards the new station. Good little engine friend Scarlowy is running late again, unfortunately. He's waiting for workmen to load up his trucks, and he starts to get impatient. 
The Fat Controller actually sees Scarloe waiting, and he's starting to worry, oh, what if Scarloe is late? Well, it seems that it might be a bit of good luck that Scarloe was running late, as the balloon ran out of fuel for the hot air. Lady Hat panics a bit, they end up landing in a tree, and Scarloe pulls up alongside. And the driver offers them a ride in the box van. Mm. So they jump in, and they get taken up to Rumblin' Bridge Station, where everyone else is waiting, and the Fat Controller opens the station. Yes, Rumbling Bridge Station being... What I'm presuming is the first station on the new line that they've been busy building. I would say so, yes. So, the grand opening. Yes. So, this episode, I don't know where it falls in the timeline of the rest of the episodes. Because this is the new line that's being worked on. I'm assuming this is the same new line that the Elephant Park station is on that we see in the Runaway Elephant. Mmm, you could be right, yeah. However, this is not the first time we've seen Rumblin' Bridge. We've seen it in Refreshment Lady's Tea Shop, Runaway Elephant, along with Harold and the Flying Horse. We've seen it multiple times, and in each of those shots, there have been people on the platform. Like, you could Mm -hmm. argue that all the previous times that we've seen it before this episode is when the line is being built. However, that doesn't explain the passengers on the platform. And... You might also assume that this episode was filmed before the others. But no, no. The grand opening was the 24th episode filmed. Yeah, it's... All the others, Refreshment Lays, T-Shop, Runaway Elephant, Harold and the Flying Horse, they all were filmed 19th episode or earlier. Mm, exactly, yeah. Which makes no sense as to where this station occurs in the timeline of the rest of the Narrow Gage episodes in Series 7. And what's really disappointing about all of this, what really hurts me, mm. is that this is the last time that we will ever see or mention this station ever again. Mentioning it as Rumblin' Bridge, or it just doesn't appear again? Doesn't exist. That's... Which means that throughout the entirety of Series 7, you've seen this station, okay, with no explanation, grand opening is hosted at this station, and you're like, oh, there's a new branch line, how cool. And then it just doesn't exist after this. It disappears. That's that's actually quite sad. I'm sad to hear that. It really annoys me, especially because the set for Rumbling Bridge Station is absolutely amazing. It's an island platform station with diverging tracks, small shed, Mm. and a giant ravine that the railway goes over. And instead of using water in the ravine, they use smoke. Yeah, they do, don't they? They've got a small smoke machine that you see in Runaway Elephant being used, and you see the edge of the smoke in Grand Opening as well. Mm. It's rocky terrain all around the place, and then it's never touched on again, and it so annoys me because I really like the idea of a new branch line. Especially because we've seen multiple things leading up to this episode that hint at the branch line being built. You've got the Elephant Park Station. You get things such as the old wooden bridge, which may have been old Scarlowy Railway, or it may be the new line that has been built. Yeah, indeed, you're right. Yet from all of this, we just then never get it ever again, and it so annoys me. But this episode does do a few really good things. Mm. Apart from the beautiful sets, 
you've got the fantastic aerial shots from the hot air balloon, which also return with the red balloon. Mm. You finally get to see it again after James has inflated it once more of his steam. It's it's good to see the hot air balloon. It's good to see it in use. And they get some wonderful shots of the line. And this episode's just got some really nice locations over it. really does, yeah. Where the hot air balloon crashes down by the tree, Scullowy's there, and it's a small siding next to the tree with a farmhouse and a little road nearby. Right before that, you've got a brilliant shot where you see the hot air balloon falling down, mm. Scullowy rounding the corner, and a little blue tractor crossing the crossing ahead of him. Yeah, you sure do. And it's so well done. So my favourite scene from this whole episode would Mm. probably have to be once the balloons crashed and they look over at Scarloe. And from a photographer's point of view, seeing Scarloe framed there by the tree and like the basket and stuff, it's just absolutely beautiful. I love it. A lot of thought definitely went into the shots of this episode. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I completely agree. But do you know what a lot of thought was not put into? What was a lot of thought not put into there, Connor. Where a crew member should stand. In this episode, you can see a crew member. Not just a hand, but like their full torso and head. Oh, really? Yep, in in that shot I mentioned, with the blue tractor going over the crossing and Scullowy rounding the corner. Oh. You see, to the far left, behind the bush and the tree, you can see a crew member squat down and watch the blue tractor as it crosses the crossing. Oh dear. It's so clear that they're there. However, it is sort of hidden by the bush and tree. Mm-hmm. And whilst it is big movement, there's so much other movement happening on the screen at the time that your eyes aren't drawn to it. That's good. It's nice that your eyes aren't drawn directly into it. I will agree there. This episode, I love it. Written by James Mason, this episode really excels in its visuals. Mm. No, I'll, I'll definitely agree. Like, from the photography, filmography point of view, it's absolutely amazing. There's just so many beautiful shots. And I'm gonna say, even though we do see these episodes where crew members are seen or parts of camera equipment, it makes it feel like it's actually being created by real people. That's something that in later series, when we move to full CGI, I know it's still created by real people, but it doesn't feel the same. Because it's not a tangible thing. Like, you can't hold a CGI model. No. But that you can hold... The blue tractor, the tree, Scarlowy, you you can hold all of them. Yeah, you can actually physically, like, go around and look from all angles and be able to, you know, if you had access to the sets and the props, you'd be able to actually pick things up and be able to physically look at them. Another thing that I feel this episode has done really well, apart from the multiple sets, which I've I've gone multiple times, and the camera Mm -hmm. shots... The scenes, the shots. Yeah. Is that some of the dialogue is really nice. It it just works so well. Especially love the characterization of Lady Hat. Where it's like, oh, you're going for a helicopter ride. Oh, how lovely. Now you go on a hot air balloon. Me? Riding this? Is amazing. It's, it's, (laughs) I love that line. I love the characterization of her. And there's so much... Just little bits of dialogue throughout the episode, such as, Oh, it's glad to see you, Skylowy. As the balloon's starting to fall, I want to get out! Not now, dear. (laughs) 
Like, it hasn't even reached the ground and she's trying to get out. I'm now just picturing her trying to open the gate lock. However, what I feel that this episode really lets itself down on, story itself. Mm. Excluding everything about how you never see Rumblin' Bridge station ever again. (laughs) Is that... I could watch this episode on mute because the parts of the episode that make me want to rewatch it are just the visuals, just the sets, just the shots. The dialogue is good, as I said, but the story just feels so weak to me that it's not what I go back to this story for. I completely understand there. I do believe it does fare better than Harold and the Flying Horse. Oh, tons better. Tons better. The fact I could sit there and just watch this on mute, on, like, one of my computer screens, and just be enjoying myself, I could be listening to various little musical ditties that have been written around narrow gauge railways and whatnot. I I feel like this episode has more. Mm. And, And that comment speaks to the strength as to how good the sets and the shots are. Mm. On how you could watch it on mute and still enjoy it. With all of that said, I think it's time to move on to ratings. Agreed. Why don't you start, Em? Okay, so as I think we both agree, this is an episode that we'd happily put on again, but maybe not with the audio. Yeah. At least for the visuals. There are some amazing musical tracks I could put over that and I would be happy. The story, I feel it's less than amazing, but I don't feel like it's a bad story. It's a nice story. I feel like this is around a six. Don't feel like it's going to get much more than that, but I couldn't go and give it like a five or a four. I I feel like six is where it sits, in my opinion. I am going to go higher. I'm going to say it's a seven. Whilst the story is certainly its weakest element, Mm -hmm. it's still an okay story. Every time I see the little line that Scarlowe is cleaning the trees from, or Rumblin' Bridge Station, it draws me in. It makes me want to go and look at those sets in person. It makes me want to explore that location. It fills you with joy. Whilst it does annoy me that we won't ever see or hear of Rumblin' Bridge Station or the new line ever again, I still really like this episode, which is why I'm giving it a 7. Now, we've explored a bit of the Scarlowy Railway. We have. And for those that may not have known, Scarlowy Railway is based off a real railway in Wales called the Tarlin. And the Tarlin Railway had a documentary team come over to shoot a very short documentary about the railway and the Preservation Society on it. For this short documentary, they had a small theme, Railway with a Heart of Gold. And what you're about to listen to now for our musical interlude is music of Sodor's mashup between the Scarlow Railway theme and the theme from that documentary, Railway with a Heart of Gold. You're listening to the Ride on Track podcast.
music of Sodor's wonderful mashup of the Scalloway Railway theme and the theme from the Telethon Railway documentary Railway with a Heart of Gold. You're listening to the Right on Track podcast with Connor and M. We're halfway through our reviews for today and right now we're going on to the best dressed engine where it is nearing May Day on the island of Sodor and the engines are discussing about decorations. The station was being decorated. The fat controller said that the engines could be too. I'm going to have flags and streamers, whistled Percy. I'm going to have a big red banner, whistled Thomas. What decorations will you have, Gordon? asked Murdoch. Decorations aren't dignified for an important engine like me. I pull the express. Gordon was feeling insulted. Well, Gordon, uh, I'm not too fussed about hearing what you're wearing. Thomas and Percy, that sounds lovely. I would love to know what Murdoch's wearing for this best-dressed engine. Yes. Best-dressed engine, I feel one of its strengths is that Murdoch is actually a character in it. You know how excited I was when we got to Peace and Quiet last time and Murdoch arrived? It's just one of my favourites. What I love about it is so many times with these characters that are introduced is you'll see them. They have like a part in one story and that's it. Mm, exactly. But I feel Murdoch in Best Dressed Engine, it just works so well. It really does. So, Connor, would you like to hear about what Best Dressed Engine involves? I am, and you mentioned at the end of last episode that you're actually looking forward to reviewing this episode. So, please, do tell me about it. So... The engines are actually celebrating May Day. Yes, May Day celebrated all over the world, uh, predominantly in the UK. It's celebrated on the first Monday of May to commemorate the first day of summer, more or less. There are tons of other things around it, but essentially, it's the start of summer. Anyway, down in Knapford, the station's being decorated, and the fact controllers turned around and said that the engines are also allowed to be decorated for this special event. 
However, there is one engine that finds these decorations indignifying, and that would be Gordon. He's not interested. He leaves with the Express. A bit later on, we get to Tidmouth, and a few of the engines are being decorated, and James has come up with an idea. Having a competition for the best-dressed engine. Of course, Gordon, not shying away from a competition, says, I win any competition. But when James reveals to Gordon, you will have to be decorated because it's a best-dressed engine contest, Gordon changes his mind on a dime and goes, Not me! So, he heads off again, running the express again later that day. Heading towards a bridge when suddenly, a banner that says Sodor May Festival gets blown off the side of the bridge and onto his front. He can't stop to get it cleaned off. He has to keep going and remain dressed up. At one point, Trevor's crossing the road with a cart of apples. He tries to clear the crossing in time because he's heard Gordon's whistle approaching, but he can't, and Gordon hits the edge of the trailer. Eventually, they get to the end station. Everyone's surprised to see that Gordon's got a decoration on him, and James announced that Gordon is the best-dressed engine. Everyone agrees, and secretly, Gordon is quite pleased because he did win the contest like he wanted to. So, this episode has done so many good things in it. For one, you've got to admire how the engines all say Gordon won the competition, just because of how ridiculous he looks. But no means is he the best dressed engine. He's got a bonnet on, essentially. He does. It looks funny. I laugh whenever I see it. But it's still lovely that he's accidentally ended up being decorated, and he wins. Mwah. What this episode does, though, is something so out there that we've discussed on the podcast before, it answers the question of control over the engines. I think. Well, no, I think it does. And that's because Gordon's turned to his driver and says, stop, this needs to be pulled Hmm. off. And the driver says, you can't stop. You're on the express. We can't stop. Because Gordon can't see the track ahead of him, if he was the one solely in control, it would be extremely dangerous to be pulling an express train and not seeing what's ahead of him. In which case, if Gordon was the one in control, he probably would have stopped, gotten the driver to remove it. However, because the driver and fireman are like, nah, 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 don't stop, it means that, hey, they can still see out of the cab. It's only the smoke box that's covered, which means that they're able to continue on driving the train as per normal. There is a contradiction to this, though. Because if we follow the idea that Gordon can't see the line ahead of him, oh no, Mm. he's going to have an accident and crash into something, but luckily his driver and farming can still see. He still hits Trevor's cart of apples. Exactly. He still crashes through the level crossing. He does. Which means that either the driver and fireman are purely incompetent, which judging by the signalman on Sodor would be a surprise, or... Gordon's the one in control, and he legitimately just couldn't see, and his driver's like, eh, we'll be fine. Or the third option is the signalman's just still being lazy and didn't do his job properly at the level crossing. Yes, however, I feel the issue here is that Trevor should just stick with country roads at this point, because nearly every time he's been crossing or crossing at late, he has been involved in some kind of accident. He, he's just too slow. But I will say, that accident, 
as Gordon crashes through the gate and knocks aside the cart and continues on is so satisfying to watch. When Gordon hits the cart, he hits the corner of it and it just swings around. But in the very next scene, we see it on its side and directly behind Trevor again. There is something else though. If you watch the accident frame by frame, you can see that Gordon's left buffer, where he's Mm. hit the cart, is actually damaged and on its side. It is really interesting to see because normally you don't see actual damage being done to the props on the show. Of course, there'll be things that would have damaged them, such as Henry diving into the water. Mm. However, this looks very much like an unintentional accident. Now, best dressed engine... Polly Churchill. It's got brilliant accidents. It's got brilliant bits of dialogue. It's got Murdoch. It's got Murdoch. Furthermore, it adds something else to Murdoch's character. It really does. We know Murdoch likes peace and quiet. And normally with any other newbie character, that is the only thing we'd ever know about him. But as the engines are at Tidmouth Sheds getting decorated, Murdoch is a little bit shy. But he's still getting involved too. And I absolutely love, it's such a subtle bit of character development to a character that's not even too important to the story, but it adds just enough to him that I feel so grateful that he is a part of the story. I absolutely love every time Murdoch appears. And sadly for you, Murdoch doesn't have another speaking role until series 12. In Excellent Emily. I'm definitely going to have to try and come back for that one if I can. This episode does so much for Murdoch, and unlike Rumblin' Bridge Station or Harold the Helicopter, where it's like the last main thing they have, Mm. whilst it's sad that we don't get a Murdoch line again until five series after this, I'm quite satisfied with Murdoch in this episode. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. So, can we talk interesting things that happen in the episode that aren't necessarily related to the story? Of course, go ahead. Number one, we have stock footage from series one slash two. I can't remember which one it is. For Zoomed In Thomas. Yeah, there, there's a series one shot as Thomas is carrying the maypole. Yep. And it's a reverse shot from Thomas and the Breakdown Train. And when I first saw it, on one hand, it was jarring because I'm like, oh, that's series one. But at the same time, it's edited so flawlessly in that you don't notice it. Exactly. We're using stock footage from Percy's Chocolate Crunch, Bulgy Rides Again, and due to this, both those two episodes and this one, Best Dressed Engine, all have the same opening shot. Correct. Because other stock footage from Bulgy Rides Again has been used, yep. he's in his scarlet livery again. Yes, he is. But my question is, does this place this episode before or after Bulgy Rides again? Or during even? Oh. Oh, that's weird. Okay. Yeah. okay. You, so, see, you see where I'm coming from, don't you? Because Bulgy's in this, mm-hmm. in his scarlet red livery again, it means that he's been refurbished, he's back on the roads. Yes. However. He was only on the roads for a day before the hens. Yeah, before the hen incident. We don't know how long it was until he's refurbished into a vegetable bus. Another thing is that in Bulgy Rides Again, Thomas and Emily are in the works, and Thomas is very clearly in action in this episode. Yeah. Which would mean that this story would have to take place during the events of Bulgy Rides Again, 
after Bulgy says that Thomas and Emily can have the hens and the passengers, but before he's refurbished into a vegetable bus. So what we could be seeing is Bulgy crossing the bridge on the way to the works to be refurbished. I think we're getting too far into this, Connor. We are. So, it's the only other episode written by Polly Churchill. We only had two. We only had Salty Stormy Tail and Best Dressed Engine. So, Polly Churchill uh, only did write two stories for Thomas. Banger Mm -hmm. stories, I'll say. But she wrote for a whole bunch of other children's shows. Tons, such as Bob the Builder and Postman Pat. Sydney Sailboat, Chuggington. Polly Churchill has got a long repertoire of stories. And despite there only being two stories credited to Polly Churchill in Thomas, Polly Churchill has done a fantastic job with them. Yes, she really did do a fantastic job. Yes, so let's talk about ratings now. Yep. I really do like this episode. Oh, I agree. It's got great lines. It's got brilliant little accident. Whilst there isn't anything that's too visually out there, it's really satisfying to see the engines all with their different decorations along the stations. So with that, I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. I was thinking very similar. Now, the thing that really makes it for me this episode, and I think it's the only time it happens, it might not happen again, we actually see Murdoch hauling two express coaches. Yes, you do. Seeing Murdoch, who is a heavy goods train who was brought here for big freight trains, seeing him on... A passenger train, all decorated. It's just that extra little touch that really hits where you live, you know? It hits you right in the heart, just oof. At least if you're a fan of Murdoch like I am. (laughs) (laughs) And in saying that, I have to agree with you on everything you said. I have to say, I think I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10. Extra 0.5 ahead of me. I see how it is. So with that, we move from one Gordon story to another, to Lee Pressman's story, Gordon and Spencer, where there seems to be a visitor to the island. Yeah, for some reason, Gordon's been routed into a siding. I'm going to be late, he muttered. A huge engine rocketed by. Steaming pistons! Who's that? Gordon soon found out. When he arrived at the shed, the huge engine was humming quietly. Mm. Who are you? This is Spencer. He's the fastest engine in the world. Huh. But secretly, Gordon was impressed. I'm the Duke and Duchess's private engine. I take them everywhere. Quiet. There will be a party for our guests at Marin Station. That's far away over Gordon's Hill. You'll need to take on plenty of water, muttered Gordon. I have plenty of water, wished Spencer. And he raced away. I was only trying to be useful, grunted Gordon. shiny new engine. I think we need a little bit more than just that snippet. Connor, could you explain to us 
what this episode's about. So, Gordon and Spencer. Gordon is very excited because a duke and duchess are visiting the island. And has made sure he's all cleaned. And as he's going to visit them, he's been put in the siding. And a speeding streak of silver shoots by him. And he later meets the engine known as Spencer. Now, Spencer is an LNER Class A4 Sporting a silver grey livery with black lining, uh, mm. built somewhere between 1935 to 1938. His livery is a callback to the earliest A4 locomotives, which had silver grey livery. Now, the claim mentioned by James of him being the fastest engine in the world comes from the most famous of his class, the A4 number 4468 Mallard, which broke and still holds to this day the record for the fastest steam engine, which reached a speed of 126 miles an hour or 203 kilometers an hour in 1938. Mm. So Spencer, being the private engine of the Duke and Duchess, takes them everywhere and he gives them a tour of the island and gets ready to take them off to Marin Station. But as Gorn says, he'll need plenty of water, and Silly Spencer has not. So he gets stuck on the hill, and Gorn is sent to his aid, takes Spencer up to Marin Station, where Spencer's quite embarrassed, and he arrives right on time. Now, I absolutely love this episode. It does so many things well. Mm-hmm. But do you know what it does not do well? Is specifying what humming quietly means. Mm-hmm. Because it talks about how Spencer was humming quietly in the yard. And then you get, in the Michael Angelus narration, just humming a singular note. And then he's just... And holding it. (laughs) And there's no actual reasoning behind that. Because when I think of humming quietly, I think of... No, clearly you're not thinking of... My bad, excuse me, my bad. But this story, it is amazing. It's got some brilliant shots and creative trickery, Mm. such as when Gordon's in the siding, looking rather discontent, and Spencer first speeds by. Mm -hmm. It's a flawless cut, but Gordon is then looking all shocked and surprised at Spencer speeding by. And they do the same trick later, when Gordon is waiting at the station. It is so well done. They've got a brilliant short instrumentation of the five new engines in the shed song. Mm. Even more, when Spencer is giving the Duke and Duchess their tour around the island, you hear his theme play, Spencer's theme. Mm. And it's actually based off a real-life piece of music composed by Vivian Alice called The Coronation Scott. Oh, wow, that's really amazing. Now, the Coronation Scott was a piece of music named after and in tribute to the train pulled the Coronation Scott. Which, it's a little bit funny. The Coronation Scott was a London, Midland and Scotland train. Yes, that was pulled by the rival company to the LNER, which is what the A4s were a part of. Which is where Spencer's design comes from. And the Alenia A4s used to pull a train called the Coronation. Which, to me, very much sounds like that Mike and Junior Campbell were there wondering, well, what are we going to do for Spencer this engine? What theme should we have? 
and they looked up about his basis, the A4s, and they came across the train, the Coronation, and they, they searched the Coronation, and it came up with the Coronation Scott, and they found the music for the Coronation Scott, and they went for it without knowing that they were two separate trains mm. pulled by rival companies. The music is astounding. I absolutely love it for Spencer's theme. Oh, it's amazing. In regards to Spencer, what they have got very correct, though, is his character. Out of all the new characters, I know you love Murdoch, but I feel that even above Murdoch, Spencer's character is so good and so accurate. Because Spencer is a brilliant foil to Gordon. Mm. He is everything Gordon ramped up to 11. You heard in the clip we played how Gordon was going, well, you need plenty of water. And Spencer goes, I have plenty of water and storms off. And, And Gordon, he was only trying to help. And that shows not just that Gordon has matured a lot from his younger days, mm. but how Spencer is everything Gordon ramped up to 11. He is ruder, grumpier, faster, arguably more important because he's a private engine, not just a express train. He is an upgraded version of Gordon's real-life basis, the LNER A1s. Mm. And he even gets stuck on Gordon's heel. They are by all means, the same character. It's just that Gordon has had time to mature and is finally coming head to head with someone that is just like him. Exactly. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's one reason why I love this episode so much. Mm. We have to thank for that the writer of the episode, Lee Pressman, who, rather surprisingly, this is the first episode that Lee Pressman wrote and is the only episode he wrote in the model series. Indeed. I mean, he doesn't appear again until the CGI series, Series 17, with Kevin's cranky friend. Yeah. So, the interesting thing, it's the first time we're properly introduced to Spencer, but it's not the first episode that Spencer appears in. Something fishy. Where you see him in the sheds. At Knapford, yes. Now, we're nearing the end of Series 7 with these episodes. We are. We're so close. It's within sight. But that does mean that there are plenty of lasts, which you'll be hearing. This episode, Gordon and Spencer, is the last appearance of Douglas until the 11th series. This is also the last episode to be re-narrated by Michael Angelis for release in the United States. And this is also the last episode where Mike O'Donnell and Junior Campbell composed music for the United States. So, with that... I think we should move on to ratings. Yeah. And I would like to hear your review first. Okay. So, I I love this episode. We've heard which one was my least favourite of this episode of the podcast. All the others, they're, they're all, like, higher than that. I feel that this is very close to Best Dressed Engine. It's not quite there. I just can't put my finger on what it is. I just... I don't feel I could give the absolute banger from Lee Pressman in the model series. I, I just don't think I can rate it as high as Best Dressed Engine. But it's really not that far from it. I have to give this one a solid 8. I can't give it the extra 0.5. It's just something stopping me. You see, the thing is, this episode to me, it is near perfect. Oh, yeah. The music in plenty of places is really cool. 
the creativity of the mm. shots yeah. is super, super good. And Spencer as a character, being everything Gordon, but ramped up to 11. It is amazing, and it's so good to have Gordon go head-to-head with someone just like him. So, with all that said, much like you, I can't give this episode that extra 0.5. With that said, I'm going to rank it 9.5. It's near perfect, I feel, this episode. I love it so much. I'm unable to pick why I can't give it that extra 0.5 of a point, but it is so good. But with all that being said and done, I'm afraid that brings us to the end of episode 57 of the Right on Track podcast. It does! Next week, uh, we'll, we will be reviewing the final three episodes of series seven. And M, what do they happen to be? We have Not So Hasty Puddings... We have Trusty Rusty. We have Three Cheers for Thomas. There's a good story or two in there. Until that episode comes along, you can keep up to date with us on all of our social media, where we've been doing a few little fun secret reveals recently, such as our Twitter, at OnTrackThomas, our Instagram, T-T-T-E underscore RightOnTrack, our Facebook, facebook.com forward slash right on track thomas podcast or if you want to send us an email with your thoughts comments suggestions let us know what you would personally rank these episodes send us an email over at right on track thomas at gmail.com ev and i will be returning next week with those reviews until that time comes i'm still connor i've been M once again and this has been the right on track podcast adios guys bye pronounced rumbling there's no g in the station rumbling rumbling bridge rumbling rumbling <laughs> it, it feels like a certain song from uh blues brothers uh rawhide rumbling 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 bridge <laughs> scalo running late now the balloon is falling and we're going off to rumbling bridge Actually, yeah that was very lovely well done i am impressed trains yeah <laughs>